Hey, this is Chuck, and you are listening to Fans with Bands, the podcast where we talk to the fans and the bands they dig about life, music, and whatever the hell else we want to talk about. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Fret Rescue. Located in Southeast Michigan, Joe at Fret Rescue has over 17 years of experience as a journeyman luthier. From basic setup to major repairs and restorations, you can put your trust in Fret Rescue. Contact Fret Rescue via email at fretrescue at gmail.com. You can also find them on social media by searching for Fret Rescue. At sign F-E-R-T-R-E-S-C-U-E. That's Fret Rescue. Today on Fans with Bands, we're talking to Rob Zink and the Collaborators. Check it out. Hey, this is Chuck with Fans with Bands, and I'm talking to Rob Zink of Rob Zink and the Collaborators. Rob, how you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing great, man. So you were uh, kind enough to reach out to me about doing something on the podcast for Fans with Bands, and I went and checked out Swim or Sink, and I was like, wow, this is really, this is, it, it's a great album. It's fantastic. Thank I think, you. Uh, really nice to hear. You know, I, I love the, you know, the punk and the alt-right rock vibes of it. Um, I was thinking of like social distortion and and the descendants a bit. Um, thought the songwriting was fantastic. Thought the uh, performance was was great. The you know the the way the albums put together, uh, it, everything, the hooks, it, the energy of the the whole thing. It's just it's really great. So I want to thank you so much for getting that into my uh, purview because I I, I would have missed it otherwise. My man, what a fantastic way to start this off. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, I think I read that you are originally from Alaska. Yeah. So how did you end up in, in Michigan? Um, after I was done with school, I, I originally was born in Fairbanks, Alaska. I lived in a very small town called Manly Hot Springs, which was uh, like four hours down a dirt road from Fairbanks. Wow. And it's a town of like uh, 60 people, um, maybe 100 in the summer when it's nicer. <laughs> uh, we lived there until I was like seven. Uh, I moved down to the Kenai Peninsula with my parents. I lived there until I graduated high school. Um, and I ended up going to college in Anchorage. And after that, it was just kind of like uh, moving out of Alaska is like a rite of passage for <laughs> pretty much everybody that I grew up with. You right. go out for a while and, you know, you come back. Some people stay out. Yeah. But it really, it was just, I was looking for a way to to move and i was considering you know anywhere like washington oregon or california but i can't really throw a rock in any of those states without hitting people i know because alaskans just kind of like seep down the west <laughs> go to where it's warmer you know right right um, but my sister had moved out here to go to college in 2002 and in 2010 when she was getting married i came down here for her wedding for the first time and that was right when like um, a bunch of stuff in my life had kind of blown up. Like the band that I was in was uh, kaput and I was just trying to figure out like, what am I going to do next? And uh, she was basically like, well, just come here because then you can kind of start somewhere new instead of going somewhere where you're already going to have like a built-in like social circle instead of expectations and like social expectations, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, so that was September, 2010 when I came down to visit and yeah, like December, 2010, I had moved here, oh, and, wow. you know, like rented a room from her for a little bit. 
and uh, genuinely didn't know, like, is this going to work? Because like <laughs> I say, man, like so many people are like, all right, I'm gone. I'm gone for good. I'm never, <laughs> right. and, you know, either because like it doesn't go well for them or because they're like, okay, actually, you know what? The grass is always greener on the other side. I miss my home. Um, it worked. And I like, I managed to put down roots. I met good people like pretty early on and developed a good network and um you know miraculously like i didn't fall flat on my face so <laughs> awesome <laughs> so you know, i mean long story long just like trying to get the hell out of the place that you've grown right. up in and being like well maybe this will work i don't know it's a pretty <laughs> stupid gamble but sometimes they pay off right right and uh, i think you you were saying that you uh, had been in a band uh, in Alaska then that had kind of gone kaput and were you so were you were you were making music basically before you got here to Michigan yeah for sure I it it's kind of funny though I was uh um playing in a death metal band like a uh, I don't know if you're <laughs> right. familiar with behemoth or yeah 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 stuff like that it started out when we were in high school uh I was like 15 I met these guys that like went to another school in a different town and um you know i've been playing guitar for a couple of years and i'm kind of like the you know like punky emo goth kid uh <laughs> and there was not let me tell you a whole lot of that uh that was really like in the culture in yeah. rural alaska so i met good people that yeah i ended up like bonding with over that stuff and i just kind of wanted to do it and see if it would work but at the time i was very much a metalhead and like uh, there's so much stuff from like that era th that I missed out on because I was like, oh, if it's not just like chugging and like brutal vocals, like it's, yeah. it's silly. But we started out as um, uh, like a Poison the Well style, like screamo band. Yeah. Then uh, oddly enough, it was Black Dahlia Murder uh, when Miasma came out that I heard that and uh, my singer had kind of like been in my ear about it. It was like we should be doing stuff like this <laughs> us like if you're like a um like diehard metalhead black dahlia murder is like yeah like they're pretty they're pretty yeah pretty. yeah <laughs> um, but to us it was like this is mind-blowing um so we started going more in that direction and then we ended up changing bass players in like 2007 and he was very much a like old school like traditional death metal guy and he introduced me to stuff like uh yeah like behemoth and um uh, deicide was oh, a really yeah. big one. DSI. So I had this whole like uh, arc as a metalhead for like the first like age fifteen to twenty, pretty much, and then we were just unfocused young guys, and uh, we did really well in Anchorage, and we had a lot of fun, and that was a surprisingly vibrant music scene, and especially like metal and like black metal, death metal, like there was a great hardcore scene there. Um, the metal kids and the hardcore kids did not always get along, <laughs> but we always had fun at the end of yeah. the day. Um, but yeah, I did that for a long time and I felt like, oh yeah, like this is what I'm into and this is what's going to work. And then it just it disintegrated and we kind of felt like, um, you know, we were on top of the world and anytime like, uh, a big name, when I say big name, I mean like, like bleeding through or, um, uh, like 36 Crazy Fist. 36 Crazy Fists are from Anchorage initially. Um, but like we got to open for bands that we liked and stuff. And we kind yeah. of thought we were, you know, hot stuff. Right, right. 
young and dumb, but <laughs> put the effort into actually doing the, uh, you know, boring side of it and like promoting and trying to stick together and make it sustainable and stuff. So right. that happened and um, then it all just went away and I'm kind of like, all right, well, what am I going to do? And that was my first experience with, um, man, I put all this time and work into something and I just, I like, I can't use any of it. Like <laughs> now it's just all gone. So. Right. Holy crap. So, um, but you, but you said like, you know, earlier, cause you're obviously not playing death metal now. Um, not publicly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least not in Rob Zink and the collaborators. You're not doing death metal. So were you, um, were you always into like the, I mean, cause this album, it's got a lot of different features. Like it's, there's a, you know, you've got very, lots of different textures. It's not just all like uh, hardcore. There's some songs that are like more fast paced, but there's uh, tunes like, uh, what was that? Orange Juice, you know, super cool. I love that song. Um, or, um, you know, We Aren't Friends, which still has more of that punky edge, but um, but it's definitely not metal. So were you always into that style of music too, um, as well as the, you know, behemoth and at the gates and everything else. Yeah. Uh, at the gates is a great reference. Well done. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I absolutely was. I just, uh, I kind of thought that like, I don't know, people don't react the same way live to stuff like that, that they do, um, to the really aggressive stuff. So yeah. like, uh, I appreciate the compliment on the, uh, dynamics of the record because I, you know, it's something that I genuinely thought about was, I don't want it to just be like the same speed the whole time. And I'll be yeah. just like tempo wise, just like same feel. Like every song is basically like, okay, cool. Here comes another one. Right. But um, yeah, I, I always had a little bit of that and I kind of went through a lot of phases. Cause like I started playing guitar when I was like, like my dad played music. So oh, cool. Um, he basically gave me like free reign over his instruments from like five and on. Wow. Um, awesome. But I mean, at like 11, I was learning to play guitar by doing like Blink-182 songs and Nirvana songs and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, like Black Sabbath was the first riff that he taught me because it's just a like, okay, you can just use a single finger. and Right. <laughs> um, but I, I never really wanted to do like just that one thing. Mm -hmm. And even when I was doing uh, Omerta, which was the death metal band, um, I still had stuff that I would kind of like play with on the side because it was like that mid two thousands era of like emo was very, very big. And there was a ton of crossover for like punk and hardcore and metal and death metal and like lots of experimentation and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I was of course totally ignorant of like the actual history of like hardcore and emotional hardcore and like the DC hardcore scene and the things that I really, really appreciate now. But I just knew that like, there's all these little um there's all these little bits of like ingredients that are kind of mashed up in this stuff and yeah. if you can kind of pick out the stuff that you like and start following that then yeah eventually you get to it but really what it was was just after um after that band was over um i just wanted to do something that i felt like even if i couldn't rely on anybody else at all i could at least write songs and record them and release them and like have fun doing it you know yeah and like it definitely felt like okay maybe it's time to be a little more like thoughtful and serious which i don't mean to be in any way dismissive about um like the thought and seriousness that uh metal musicians put into their craft 
at oh, all. For sure. Yeah. But yeah, I just I kind of felt like maybe this isn't what I want to be doing forever. But you can kind of hear elements of all of that stuff. And it definitely informed the way that I think of like melody and song structure. Um, I just ended up figuring out that I liked hardcore and punk a lot more as something that I could like write and record and perform because what I really, really liked about doing the death metal and black and death metal stuff was just the energy and aggression is not really the right word, but yeah. it, you know, it's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. It's the power, I guess, of it. You know, there's this uh, kind of a visceral, like um, physiological power to, to heavy metal and particularly like death metal or, you know, grind or any of those things where it's just like just blazing speed and, uh, and, you know, some of it's fun just tactically, you know, just to play guitar that fast and, you know, and <laughs> like the um the vibe and the image and stuff like yeah, yeah. like it was like way way over the top but like that was definitely a thing where i kind of figured out like okay i kind of like i need there to be an element of like darkness in anything that i'm going to be doing because i just uh i like that vibe and i appreciate it yeah so uh on swim swimmer sink uh which is the new album you have out what yeah, I mean, I know this is a tough question because it's like picking your your children. Uh, what what's your favorite song on there, and what is it about that song that you love? Um, I really like "Behave" because it came together really nicely. Um, it was something that I wrote like specifically for this band after we've been playing for a while, so it felt very good because I went through a phase where. I was uh, singing like just as a front man without a guitar for oh. a band called Loggerheads. And because I didn't have a band where I was the primary songwriter and I was playing guitar, I wasn't doing it a whole lot. Yeah. And I was kind of worried that like, oh man, like what if this is it for me? Like what if I've exhausted my like creative outlet and like this is uh, everything that I was writing at that time just kind of felt like you just going through the motions, man. <laughs> so um putting a set together and then feeling like like I called a lot of that from songs that I'd written from way earlier and like there's a ton of stuff that didn't make the record that was basically like the starter songs that we used to kind of like get to know how playing with each other was going to work okay. um, but I particularly like behave because it came after everything was established and I genuinely like the way that it's crafted I think it's one of the better like songs arrangement wise that I've written. Uh -huh. um, and like I say, it came after sort of a period of uncertainty as far as like, do I have like great ideas left or is it just like, yeah, man, that works. That's good. <laughs> right. Well, so I particularly like that one. Um, I really like we aren't friends. I yeah. kind of thought that that was going to be more what I was doing. Like I was going to be doing, um, you know, like, death cab for cutie or like john vander slice type stuff yeah and um you know when you try to do stuff like that live sometimes it works really well but sometimes when you're at a rock and roll bar in detroit people don't want to hear you cry they want you to rock <laughs> so um I, I think that tune's awesome actually i think because uh, I was going to ask you, like, what, what was the influence behind that? Because it's, you know, it's not the most uplifting of lyrics, um, but it's a, it's a it's a good song. I, I think it, I liked it. 
So that was uh, like after I'd separated from Loggerheads, uh, that was a crop of like songs kind of in that vein that I thought, again, like just like after um, after the death metal band is split up. OK, if I can just do this by myself, if I can figure out a way where I don't have to rely on anybody, then I don't really have to worry about losing stuff again. The best way to do that, at least to get started. All right, let's write some guy with the guitar stuff. Right. And then see how it goes. Um, but yeah, I like I love that song. That was July of 2019. So like maybe six months before I decided, all right, let's let's see if a live band is in the cards for this or like is a good idea at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's one of those songs that I kind of I think is necessary in the mix because again, it can't just all be like punk rock cut time or, yep. um, you know, mid tempo, like 130 beat per minute, like alt rock songs. Right. You know, right. you have to have something that is uh, like variety and keeps it interesting. What we figured out though, is that uh, people like that song and uh, they especially like the chorus. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not like, you know, the lyrics are intelligible. I uh, People have told me that they like find it very relatable, which is super flattering. Uh, but we figured out live that like you make that like second because otherwise if it's like sixth on the set, then it's uh, it's the smoke break song. <laughs> <laughs> and you watch everybody like, all right, I'll, yeah, I'm going to go have one, man. You can like yeah. see work through the crowd. Uh, you know, speaking of like um, you mentioned like songs that, you know, kind of break things up a little bit. So does um, it's uh, before I was, but now I am. That, that tune is super cool. I love that kind of a, there's a funkiness to the guitar playing in there. Thank um, you. What was the inspiration for that one? Uh, so that's actually a really old one. That was written in that period between like when that, when the death metal band had broken up, but I hadn't yet moved here. Um, and I was working on this like demo EP to basically have something when I hit the ground that I could show people and be like, look, like I know what I'm doing. I don't suck. I'm not just some idiot that thinks <laughs> like, yeah, man, I play guitar too. Right. Um, but I was listening to a lot of, uh, choking victim and leftover crack. And I had just gotten that, uh, fuzz factory pedal that, uh, features pretty prominently in the tone on that song. Uh -huh. And, uh, I was just trying to like play around with something that had that sort of like, you know, upstroke guitar, like, um, Tim Armstrong rancid leftover crack, sort of like not quite ska punk, yeah. um, but you know, but a little you, bit you know, of that feel. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Cause when you say it's, it's got that like kind of like funky guitar playing and stuff like that. Yeah. And then there's the like wah section in the middle, which is uh, like borders on cheesy, but it's <laughs> somehow like, it kind of fits. And I think it works great actually. Thank you. Like I say, I just, I want, um, I, I want to mix things in that don't necessarily like go together because, you know, I'm listening to those uh, leftover crack records and uh, there's a like insanely aggressive, like almost like blackened crust punk song. And then, you know, the next one is like an accordion and an acoustic <laughs> guitar and a mandolin. And it's like, oh, OK, you know, they're working all sorts of uh, disparate influences in and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but if it works, it works. And yeah. if it's good, then you should do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think you mentioned that you're your dad uh, played guitar and he had uh, guitars. Uh, was he like a primary influence? Were there other influences that got you wanting to play music? 
Uh, I, I mean, it was, I would say it was pretty much him, like, uh, especially early on, because like I say, when we were living in Manly Hot Springs, there's uh, not a whole lot of uh, other people around. So, right. uh, but yeah, he like, he uh, had an old like 12 string Gibson that he would pack around like when we were camping and stuff. Um, but he had this like, you know, 60s Telecaster that he had like bought from a buddy in the 70s for like, just a stupid low amount of money that would be like crazy now yeah. and like never really messed with it. Um, but then my uncle gifted him a drum set in sometime in the early nineties. And, uh, you know, he would play on that and like just basically make me set up and keep time like to the best of like right. old's ability, uh, <laughs> probably more just a function of like, if I, if you're sitting here, I know where you're at. Um, but yeah, just, you know, it, seeing your parents do stuff like that when you're a kid just kind of seems like oh this is super cool and yeah on friday nights like my mom would play drums and my dad would play guitar and uh yeah as like a six-year-old you're like cool my parents are like the cool parents like <laughs> they let me play punch out and um you know they're like rock and cinnamon girl for us <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome so uh i i have to imagine it was later uh, for you once you were maybe in uh, college, but uh, what was the very first concert you ever went to? Oh, um, first like actual concert would have been Los Lobos in Fairbanks nice. in like probably 1994. Um, are you familiar with Los Lobos? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Um, my dad like watching Austin City Limits. So that was the way that we like found out about new music and stuff like that. So, you know, something like that came to town. We got an opportunity to do it. We would. Um, but yeah, we went to see that. And again, like as a very little kid who doesn't get a whole lot of exposure to stuff like that, uh, something like that is like the coolest thing in the world. They had two uh, like full drum sets on stage for that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, that one dude plays this like really sick uh, gold um uh les paul like 59 gold top yep um so like that you know now i tell people that was my first concert and that's the actual <laughs> truth uh when when i was like oh i'm too cool for stuff like that i told yeah. i would say that uh my first concert was ozzy osbourne on the down to earth tour in like 2001 nice. at sullivan arena in fairbanks uh which was great for me because uh at that age I loved Zach Wild. It's <laughs> like this is like everything a cool guitar player is supposed to be. Right, right. Yeah. That dude, I mean, he is uh uh I, I love Zach Wild, but I also sometimes get a little bit tired of his playing. Uh, you know, when you compare it to oh, like, it's Brandon yeah. Rhodes. But uh but he it's definitely has that look. And then an eleven year old is like, this is the coolest guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I mean hopefully uh Zach isn't listening cause, and is bummed out, but you know, the pinch harmonics a little bit, you know, you're like, all right. Well again, off those. <laughs> not to not to knock it. Like I, I still like stuff like that. You oh know? yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that I would I, go see him anytime. <laughs> well, actually I did a couple of weeks ago. That was my third time now. Oh, Zach Sabbath? Three different bands. Um uh because yeah, he was doing uh the he was playing the Dimebag Daryl role for, oh, uh, I, I call him Pantera Ain't because like, <laughs> man, um, but yeah, it, it, that was, I was laughing about that. I'm like, man, 
I like can't get away from the music that I liked when I was in like eighth grade because yeah, that was the third time I seen him with a different band each time. And that just made me feel like, oh, like whether you like it or not, you're a super fan of this for the rest of your life. <laughs> so do you uh do you remember what your uh first album was that you, that you got or C D or C D that I got? Yeah, yeah. Um man, I think it was like the Space Jam soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> awesome <laughs> uh first one that i would have bought for like oh yeah like this is like a cool cd that i want to get was uh black sabbath paranoid oh awesome. awesome and then that was one of those like uh again my dad hooking me up on the, one of those uh yeah get 12 cds for a penny um, <laughs> oh yeah yeah the Columbia yeah, I got that and then uh nirvana unplugged in new york which was my first like real exposure to nirvana i probably heard some of that stuff on the radio yeah. um but like that uh that album and that concert and performance specifically was how like i came to really really appreciate that band um and yeah then i went and listened to like nevermind and in, in utero and i'm like oh huh okay these these sound different <laughs> so was uh was was ozzy your introduction to like metal music then or a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, my buddy in fifth grade gave me his dad's copy of the, we sold our souls for rock and roll compilation. Yeah. You know, and it's got like the, um, the like S runes on the cover and it just kind of looked like, Oh, this is spooky. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, that was immediately appealing to me. <laughs> uh, awesome. So, you know, if, uh, if you could play anywhere with, um, uh... The collaborator, uh, the collaborators. Um, what, what is there a particular venue or country or uh, you know place that you'd like to play? Like if this kind of a dream location. Uh, man, if uh, it wasn't cost prohibitive, I would love to um, take collaborators and a couple other bands from here and go do the uh, Denina Center in Anchorage, um, and just like go back home and play a big show. Um, and try to get like, there's a, still a few people that are like kicking around there. Yeah. Uh, there's a band called She and a band called Decepticide that uh, uh, I, she started just before I left, but like they're like, you know, hardcore and metal bands and stuff. Yeah. But you know, who cares? Like it, it, make it a festival. <laughs> Everybody like bring whatever kind of music you want to. But no, I would love to uh, go back, back and like play with friends and like get to take the people that I've met here. Yeah, uh, yeah. to my home and be like, you know, check this out. Uh, there's actually a scene here and like, it's pretty good. That's awesome. So have you been back um, to Alaska since you moved here? Yeah, to visit quite a bit. Um, Are your, although, your parents yeah, still there? Yeah, yeah. So they still live in the um, like town where I grew up and graduated high school. Okay. Um, but yeah, last time was 2018. Um, and then, yeah, we had plans to go up there in 2020, but, uh, uh yeah, got the kibosh there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, where in the Kenai is it? Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember. Is that, is that where Seward is? Yeah. So Seward's also on the Kenai Peninsula. Yeah. Um, my parents live in a town called Nikiski. That's where I grew up. Uh, we moved there in like 1996. Nice. Um, and there's that like Kenai, Soldatna, Nikiski, like little tri-city area there. It's like, three hours south of Anchorage. Um, and it's not like, it's it's a lot less mild than like interior Alaska where we were living. Um, yeah, yeah. Not that it's, you know, 
not cold uh, like right now it's they're they're experiencing a cold snap but you know there'll be days where like it's colder here than it is uh, at my parents place or whatever yeah um but yeah i was in nikiski until like 2006 um and then yeah like moved to anchorage until 2010 to like uh kind of pretend to go to school and not do a very good job at it while i like partied too much with a bunch of idiots <laughs> which is not that's not an insult if, <laughs> yeah you gotta do it listening we were all idiots and we had a great time yeah uh, that's what you gotta do I, uh, yeah i was actually in uh alaska in 1999 um, yeah yeah visited seward um uh denali uh went up to anchorage Cool. Uh, I think that's it. Homer. <laughs> Homer is a, a great little spot, man. I, yeah. I love that place. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. That would be fun actually for you guys to go back there. I think I would imagine, you know, just to, to go play and have some fun. Yeah. I mean, and it, what would be wonderful is to like, okay, like let's, you know, let's play Anchorage, let's do a city show. And then, um, yeah, let's like go uh, play like one of these like small towns that we used to raise hell in because uh, like when we were still in high school, we would rent out the roller rink in Soldatna and, you know, we could like easy get like three or 400 kids on a Saturday because like what else is there there to do, (laughs) you know, and like the parents are cool with it because Uh, they're not serving alcohol, although, you know, I'm sure that stuff was around. I, of course, would have no idea. Um, but yeah, you know, it was uh, it was good, clean fun. And there's not a whole lot else going on. So like people are into it when you do it. And if you're like if you're putting on a good show and people are having a good time, yeah. uh, they're, like always appreciative. Yeah. Hell yeah. So, yeah, it would be great. We actually um, we tried to book a show in Homer uh and we had to like uh, it was at like a cultural center or something like that and we had to uh kind of like submit a package so we just like linked them to our myspace page in the days when that was like still cutting edge um and we got a like we got a response from the chamber of commerce that basically told us like please don't come <laughs> um, advertise ourselves as banned in homer <laughs> <laughs> Is it Dan and Phil? Are are they they still the the collaborators? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how did you guys uh, get together? How did you meet those guys? So Dan is actually the guy that I like met first when I moved here, uh, trying to connect with the band. Um, I answered an ad on Craigslist and just showed up at this person's house, and they were like, "Yeah, we like we need a singer for a punk band." And again, I just kind of figured like. If I can just get in doing a job in a band, then eventually I will meet enough people that I can do the job that I want to yeah. do in a band. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I met Dan and uh, he was playing with uh, a drummer named Alex and a guitar player named Steve Stalker. Um, Steve plays bass now for uh, Jackson and the Pool Sharks. Um oh. But yeah, that started out as like, I was just singing and then I was like, yeah, you know, like I can play guitar too. Steve was uh, happy to have like a little bit of backup on that. Um, And that band ended up being called The Means. Uh, We released two EPs under that name. And um, Steve was on the first one. He left after that. Uh, But, you know, on good terms and we stayed buddies. He's got a 
uh, kind of a tongue-in-cheek production credit on the second DP because we basically just tapped him to be like, hey, will you like come down to Ohio with us for the weekend and, <laughs> sit on the couch and just tell us like, that sounds good. I don't know about that. Um, but yeah, I'd met Dan doing that. Um, and then the means lasted until about 2016. Like we did that second release in 2014. And uh, I just, I didn't have anything like left in the tank after that. Uh, we kind of like weren't getting along at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine had asked me if I wanted to come and try singing for his garage rock band. And um, it just kind of, again, like it just was a slow, like, all right, this is dissolved now. And, you know, we can pick it back up at any time. Um, yeah. But, you know, for, for now, like none of us are, none of us are uh, really like, contributing very much anymore (laughs) so um but yeah when i knew that i wanted to put a band together like dan is the only bass player that i've worked with in terms of like this kind of music playing guitar and um he just he has a knack for uh anticipating what i'm looking for he comes up with really really interesting ideas stuff that i wouldn't think of it's like he knows the thing that I want to hear in my head, even if I'm like, I don't know about that the first time he tries it. Right. Um, and yeah, like sometimes, I mean, sometimes there is stuff and it's like, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> but he's got an act for just really good bass parts that are very complimentary. And um, Phil was the drummer in Loggerheads. Okay. And he and I had both kind of, because this is like a, bluesy detroity like garage rock band um which like i had a lot of fun doing but is not um is not like the thing that i wanted to be doing and phil is a big uh punk guy so we would kind of like chat at band practice about like oh like you know maybe sometime we'll like put something together or whatever like yeah just do like the four chords and an attitude thing you know (laughs) right um so he and I had talked about that and I kind of thought that that was going to be more like a, uh, well, we'll just have fun with it. And like, we'll just throw stuff together. It won't really be like a serious thing. Right. And then it was kind of like, all right, well, let's take the idea of the kind of more stripped down stuff, the mellower stuff, the stuff that I can do on my own. And again, like meld it with something that you wouldn't necessarily expect, which is, the more like aggressive, like upbeat, punky stuff and see if we can like find this synthesis and um, kind of, you know, uh, like cancel out the contradictions there and make it work. And it, it does. So. Nice. Nice. So what's the, I mean, you've got the the new album, which just came out like the last fall, right? Or yeah, November. Yeah. November. Um, so, so what's next for you guys? Uh, you got uh, shows lined up. Um, and just so if you mention shows, this will be like about three weeks out. So, Okay. Um, well, that may be perfect. So we're at uh, Kanji Cafe on February 24th. Oh, nice. With um, Bellows and the Picassos. Um, we've got, I'm actually uh, helping out with Corktown Music Festival this year. Cool. Uh, playing opening night of that, March 28th. Um, but for the most part, like, uh, I'm not doing the like big things coming this year. Yeah. Yeah. 
all last year. So just kind of <laughs> trying to uh, keep the momentum going. And, um, you know, I said that the means after that second record, everything just kind of petered out because I didn't have anything like in the chamber ready to go. So like coming up to the release, I started actively thinking about like new song ideas and sketching stuff out so that um, you don't, we don't like get to the end of it and then just be like, okay. Yeah, that was it. Now what? <laughs> um, but yeah, basically just um, like kind of solidifying ourselves more in the area, um, trying to get in touch with more uh, promoters and other bands and network and just be the kind of band that is reliable and shows up and you want to book them, uh, but you don't see them everywhere all the time. So yeah. I'm always shooting for like once a month or so. Yeah. In the area. yeah. Um, I'd like to get some uh, out of state stuff going too, uh, but that would require a decent vehicle, which <laughs> has been a problem lately. So we'll see about that, but just oh, basically trying to, um, not really like hunker down or like rest on her laurels or anything, but um, just gig behind the record and um, expand the base. And then almost the entire point of like having a release as a band is basically to legitimize it and be like, yeah, we're like actually doing this. Right. Um, so it's just a better way to believe me. It is so much easier to like book and talk to people when you can point them to something that you're actually like have produced. Oh, hell yeah. Just be like, oh yeah, man, we're totally working on this. I will send you some like demos on like Google drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It definitely helps to have like something solid and it sounds like you get some good, uh, you know, good gigs. Corktown was fun. I went to that last year. It was, it was really cool. Uh, we're, is it PJs you playing or we're doing, um, or, I guess night. it's Lager House, not PJ. Anymore, yeah. but. Uh, we're doing opening night at Corktown Tavern. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's right. Cause Scott books there now. I forgot about Correct. that. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Awesome. Very cool. Um, you should get in touch with, uh, Chris Taylor. Uh, you guys would go over well at Fuzzfest. You ever heard of that little deal he does at the blind pig? I have not, but I will check that out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Chris, Chris is the man. He's he's been setting it up for what last year was the seventh year. Um, so it's very cool. It's uh, it's all the kind of like either psychedelic rock, punk, hardcore. You know, uh, some weird experimental crap. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all over. One of those are we. <laughs> yeah. All of it, right? Yeah, exactly. You're just like, what is this? You know, one minute you're like. You know, you've got snafu, and then the next minute you've got, I don't know, something else completely different. <laughs> Somebody playing the sitar and, uh, you know, some kind of crazy uh, electronic rig. But it's, awesome. it's a cool, yeah, it's a cool time. Uh, oh, one other thing, just to plug uh, to get you out there, because I think it'll be fun. There's this uh, music series in Chelsea um, that I think you would go over well at um, because they're starting to do some more um, rock, uh, like a rock, what they call a rock stage. They had like war horses. I don't know if you've heard of them. Um, and uh, they even had like a progressive metal band out there, but it's called um, Sounds and Sights. It's in Chelsea. Um, the deadline to submit for that is the 16th of February. Um, but anyway, I know the guy that runs that thing, so I'll put in a good word. That would be awesome. Yeah. I appreciate the, uh, the recommendation. Yeah. yeah. But no, man, we're just basically just trying to keep it steady and, um, you know, not now we can kind of relax almost because mm -hmm. we don't have the like release hanging over us and 
you know, the timing and trying to make sure that like production and duplication and everything went well. Like yeah. we only did vinyl this time, which was very cool because that was my first time like pressing two vinyl. So that was like a little milestone. Yeah. Um, but man, that is uh, so much more stressful than just being like, yeah, a thousand CDs from CD Baby, let her rip. Let's go. <laughs> So uh, I I did notice that you guys had the vinyl, which I thought was super cool. Is that is that your preferred way to listen to music now, or um, what inspired that? Because I mean, it's it, it's tough. And I was curious, where did you get it cut at? So we got it cut at um, uh, Archer Records in Detroit, um, and he would probably want me to say that like it's a pressing plant, it's not cut because uh, <laughs> yeah, the, like made cut versus pressing thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we went there uh, on the recommendation of uh, a friend of mine, Tony Muggs, uh, who does. Oh, do, yeah. Tony's awesome. Of course. Um, but yeah, that was uh, a super great experience. I was looking at a few places. Uh, they beat them as far as like cost. Plus, I didn't have to worry about shipping. Um, and Mike that runs the place is just a uh, very friendly and straightforward, super easy to work with. But I wanted to get vinyl because um, there's almost no point in uh like duplicating cds as uh this kind of a band anymore right um and it's my preferred way to like actually buy music for sure um you know i don't have the best like turntable setup anymore unfortunately i left a lot of stuff like back <laughs> home when i moved and it's like well i'm not paying to ship that yeah <laughs> but i'm also not paying to replace it right <laughs> But yeah, I just, you know, that seems like, again, it's like a legitimizing factor, right? Like, yeah, it's a little more real and it's fun because it like, it does sound great. And like, um, the like mastering job for the record, um, Ed at Woodshed Studios, uh, who I'm very glad that I remember to mention him. That would be so rude. Yeah. Um, he did a fantastic job on that. I mean, it sounds awesome. And, um, you know, again, then it's just, it's fewer pieces of inventory for sure. Cause like, I, I still have some of those first means records in, or <laughs> the in CDs. My, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I can't do this again where I just like have them haunting me for the rest of my life. Right. Right. Yeah. I've got a box of CDs uh, when I was in a band, like, well, it was 30 years ago. Um, but the, this label put out re reissued some stuff that we did. Um, but I still have those CDs sitting in the basement. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do with them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, I was thinking of something when you were talking about the the mastering of that album, because um, it does sound really, it sounds really great. Do you feel like it, you captured your, you know, your sound the way you've you envision it should sound live? Um, because I know that happens sometimes where a band will make a recording. And, you know, you've, me being the listeners, has perhaps experienced that band. Then they go listen to the album and they go, well, it's kind of lax, doesn't have the same energy. Do you feel like you captured that, um, your live kind of sound? Um, I don't know if I would want to capture every instance of our live sounds. <laughs> I feel like uh, it sounds like us. Like it sounds like a band in a room actually playing music. Um, you know, the... The great thing about working with Ed was that he was very much just a, like, I put the microphone down, I get out of the way. 
Uh, he didn't want to do much to like color the sound except to make it sound the way that it's supposed to if you're sitting in a room and you're watching people like actually perform live. Uh, the feel of it is definitely much more live than any other record that I've done because uh, we did not use a click. It was just a like reference tempo at the beginning and then me and Phil playing together to track the drums. So you get the natural like variation in tempo um, and like those actual, you know, dynamics. Because uh, sometimes there's parts where, you know, you'll write a song and the beginning sounds great at like 130 beats a minute. And then if you get to the bridge, then it's like, whoa, this sounds like crazy rushed. But you very rarely figure that out until you go into the studio and you're like, oh, the tempo here is not quite the way that it should be. And in the past, I've always like flattened those things out and just found that like happy medium. And, yeah. you know, it's always worked. Uh, but this sounds much more uh, honest. Earnest is probably the word. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if I say visceral, I don't mean like, you know, it's like uh, super raw or anything like that. But there's not a whole lot of stuff for us to hide behind. And the like actual like production production, like extra things over the top is mostly just, okay, let's throw some like vocal harmonies on that. Let's double the guitars here. Um, but like my favorite thing about it is the drum sound because it is that like Steve Albini, like PJ Harvey drum sound. Uh, it's not as like boomy as in utero. Yep. Um, but I love that like just very transparent, like in the room. There's not like a heavy, like gated reverb on the snare or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, there's zero replacement as far as like uh, no replacement hits or anything. Like everything you hear is actually the drums that were played, oh, which cool. even on past records when like I've been happy with the drum sound, it's always like a mix of the two. You know what I mean? Yep. So like to me, that's an incredible skill and a super good testament to Ed's ability because uh, yeah, like you say, so often you need all of that stuff to like fatten it up. And yeah. it's not always a matter of like the performer or the instrument, it's on the production. So you need somebody that is like very knowledgeable and knows how to get that stuff. And like, yeah, if you just stick a microphone next to a drum set and you expect it to sound like it does in the room, it, it's not gonna happen. Yeah. But he's like, like measuring all of the angles for like, okay, where to tape this. Like he taped mics down on the floor, like in front of the kit and stuff like that. So, wow. so that you got this actual, like, if you listen to it in headphones, uh, there are, there genuinely are moments where it's like that immersive 3d sound. And that is so much cooler to me than like, yeah, we just like did full replace. It sounds so slick, dude. <laughs> right it, it does sound sick, yeah. yeah but you're like missing the uh like human element of it right. it it no longer sounds like a person made this it sounds yeah. too perfect you get that like uncanny valley thing where it's like ooh, that's like bad cgi where it's like, like oh that's too far <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's a good that's a good analogy i like that because yeah there, there are times when you're just like no it's too there it's too perfect or it's uh compressed or you know the tough thing is too that like people love that because that's what they're like kind of used to hearing yeah um autotune is ubiquitous um and you know like 
people hear the sound of an actual human voice and are kind of like, Haha, get a load of this. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, man. So is there anything that you would have changed now that you've it's been out for a little bit with, that you wish you had done differently? I just wish I had like more time and been more relaxed about it. Uh, it would have been nice to have been recording in uh, like warmer weather so that I didn't have to worry so much about uh, like my voice. Like I've, I've got a like sinus thing now, so I'm kind of like fighting that off. But I've got a three year old in uh, daycare full time. So uh, it's a like constant cycle of like once every six weeks I'm sick for six weeks and six <laughs> weeks are good so just kind of have to like time those things right but, no i was saying that like the, the when i was talking to the guys about it um like the next one that we do we're gonna like take our time because like we we already have a record out so we don't have to worry yeah, there's no rush we don't have anything yeah and you know i kind of felt like well we could do an ep and then release it but it's honestly going to take like the same amount of um, effort to like, okay, we'll do an EP and then we'll do an album. Like we've got these songs, we've, they're ready to go. Um, let's just get a record out so that like, Hey, we actually have a full length. It's not like there's a couple songs on the Bandcamp page you can check out to kind of get a feel. Um, yeah. And also I had a like genuine start to finish, like, okay, this is the idea and um i needed to like get that out of my head so that it was out <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like you said i mean there's no reason to um kind of rush ahead and try to get some more music out there because you've got a, a full length there um if you do you know well and you know as you mentioned you were kind of like prepping to have some material ready so that you you know you're not uh like dead in the water later but um, you know, that's stuff that people can look forward to when they see you live. It's like, oh, there's a new song I didn't hear, you know, that was on the album. We're, we're definitely working on, uh, like, getting some new stuff in the set because, yeah, like, I mean, you know, uh, you write songs and then you play them and then you record them and then people get to hear them. So now you have to keep playing them. So yeah. we got to have stuff, like, ready to go um, and start swapping stuff out because, uh because this the stuff is so varied, it, we can we genuinely can put together like pretty different sounding sets, which is good because then I can yeah. like book with different sounding bands. I'm not just only playing with like one like niche style. Um, but yeah, I mean we're basically cycling through the same like fifteen songs right now, um, and yeah, some of them are kind of uh, like okay, that was like the stuff that got left off the record there are there are a couple that i'd like to do is like a b-sides like ep type thing oh cool um but yeah as with anything man like i mean i definitely got sick of like listening to the record uh <laughs> at a certain point right like, it, by the time it had come out um i i genuinely had not listened to it like it was completely done and like shipped to uh the pressing plant in last week of may or first week of june um i had not listened to it at all <laughs> maybe a week after the release yeah so it yeah. didn't help that uh i had the cd like in my car or i would like plug my phone into the car and i would be like listening to stuff um I, you know, i'd have my kid in the car and then in the morning it became a like i want to listen to dad's music i want to listen to dad's music <laughs> And, you know, when the two or three year old is like, hey, like, can I have this thing? Yeah. 
if it's something harmless like that, yeah, I'm, I'm apt to, I'm apt to go with it. But man, after a little bit, it got to be like, please, no, do we have to, do we have to listen to any, can I listen to anything else? Nope. Sorry, dad. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. That's awesome. I mean, well, it's, it's cool. <laughs> well, Rob, I want to thank you so much for being on fans with bands. Uh, I've got just one last question for you. And that is, Pineapple or no pineapple on pizza? I think I'm no pineapple, but uh, I'm not gonna like whine about it if it's there. <laughs> I, I I I genuinely hate like strong food opinion things. <laughs> Although there there are a couple of people who would probably tell you like, okay, yeah, except for this thing. Yeah. Uh, but no, that to me is one of those like. Uh, it's one of those internet arguments that is like, oh no, like, you know, to make a hoagie, you can't use any mayonnaise. It's got to be right. oil and vinegar only. It's like, yeah, okay, hall monitor, whatever, man. <laughs> but I, I definitely do not prefer it. I'm uh, a mushroom and green pepper guy. Nice, nice. So more like a supreme, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I like a, a classic, like, brick oven, like, giant slice round pie. Hell yeah, hell yeah. I'm with you. I'm uh, definitely not a sweet and savory person, so... Uh, I, I care to keep those, you know, the pineapple completely separate. <laughs> well, Rob, hopefully I'll get to see you uh, sometime uh, performing. Um, I'll try to see if I can get out to a gig because, like I said, the album is, is fantastic. I really think it's uh, a great album. So I'm looking forward to seeing you guys live. Thank you. I genuinely appreciate that. Uh, we worked very hard on it. And, you know, all credit to... Uh, Phil and Dan and uh, Ed at Woodshed Studios. Um, it is not just me doing it. Like I'm writing the songs, but I absolutely could not have brought it to the place that it got to without those guys specifically. And also my wife, Kim, who uh, is incredibly supportive. And uh, when I say I could not do this without her, I mean that literally because there's not enough time in the day to do all the things that like we have to do as parents yeah. and maintain this stuff. So um, <laughs> is a huge help. And, you know, we have a lot of fun when we go out to shows and hang out with our friends too. That's cool. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Rob. Absolutely. Thank you, Chuck. All right. See you. Bye. Many thanks to Rob for joining me on this episode of Fans with Bands. It was awesome to get to talk with him about his journey into music and his new album, Swim or Sink, which is an awesome album of power pop and alt rock. If you dig Social Distortion, you're going to love Rob Zink and the collaborators. You can get your copy of Rob's new album over on Bandcamp. Stay tuned to his socials for upcoming shows. See the show notes for all the details and links. Bands are nothing without you, the fans. Purchasing music and merchandise is critical to their survival. If you can help out your favorite bands, please do. If you're in Michigan, consider following the Playing in Detroit area tonight and SE for Southeast Michigan Music Facebook pages. They are fantastic places for fans and bands to support each other and share our combined love of music. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast service to get each and every episode of Fans with Bands. Spread the word by rating the show, telling your friends, telling your neighbors, telling your family, telling your priest. Tell everyone and leave a comment. We want to hear what you think. You can keep in touch by following us on social media. This is a Life in Michigan production. Until next time, be well and kick out the jam.